As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask NT Wright Anything podcast. Welcome back. I'm Justin Briley, and this is the show where I get to sit down with one of the world's leading theologians, Tom Wright, to ask your questions. Brought to you in partnership with SBCK and NT Wright Online. And the show comes to you from Premier Unbelievable. And you can find lots more of our resources and shows at our website, premierunbelievable.com. It's linked with the notes from today's show. Now, today we're asking, would God need to redeem aliens? And questions about life beyond Earth and the cosmos. If the universe is so big, why did God choose to come to a small hill called Mount Zion? If there is sentient life beyond Earth, would it need redeeming too? And are the Nephilim evidence of aliens and UFOs? Tom's answering all kinds of interesting questions today. By the way, thanks for your feedback we receive when you leave comments and reviews. Um, Bethany responded to a show we did a little while ago that touched on addictions such as pornography addiction, saying, Hey Justin, I'm a big fan of the Ask Anti Write Anything podcast. Many thanks for all your hard work on it. It's really helped me in a lot of my theological thinking. I just had a small piece of feedback about that episode, which was great, by the way. During the discussion on addiction, you referred to the fact that many men in particular struggle with pornography. Whilst this is absolutely true, it can be pretty alienating for the many women who also struggle with this problem to repeatedly hear it represented as a predominantly male issue. I really don't think that it is a male issue anymore, and it only leads to feelings of shame for women, making it less likely for them to speak about it. It's something that me and several of my friends have all found difficult over the years. Anyway, I hope you know that I'm only telling you this out of love and not out of anger, just trying to balance the scales a bit more when it comes to conversations. Thank you very much. Yes, totally get that. Not just a male issue by any means. And thank you very much for getting in touch. And if you want to get in touch, maybe to leave a comment, to ask a question of Tom, you can register to do that at premierunbelievable.com. Or indeed, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider. It helps others to discover the show as well. For now, let's get into today's set of questions. Welcome back to another edition of the show. And we're talking about aliens, the cosmos. Uh, what if there was life on other planets? I don't know whether you're a fan of sci-fi at all, Tom. Do you do you watch any sci-fi shows or read any of that sort of literature? No, I'm afraid um, I've never been into sci-fi. I, I don't know why. I had friends when I was at school who were sci-fi readers. I maybe tried bits here and there, just didn't appeal to me. Um, my life had been very full of other things, and I've just never gone that route. 
Well, either way, we've certainly got some questions that involve aliens and the cosmos and that sort of thing. So, um, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I I often sometimes meet, you know, people who seem to think that because the Bible doesn't specifically talk about this, that, that, uh, you know, therefore it's missing sort of something. And and it'd be interested to know sort of to what extent you think the Bible does or doesn't comment on the concept of, of life, you know, on other planets or, or elsewhere. But um, let, let's start at least with the questions here. Um, the first one is uh, from, I, I think, a father, Seraphim, in Boston, in the USA, um, who says, knowing what we know about the size and complexity of the cosmos, how do we get our heads wrapped round the claim that, to quote, the creator of the entire universe has chosen to live uniquely on a small ridge called Mount Zion near the eastern edge of the Judean hill country. And he may even be quoting from you there, Tom. So um, do, you, do you want to comment uh, on that? That, that, is, that is a quotation. Yes, it's a quotation from one of my books. And I, I, that's something I was struck by enormously when I first lived in Jerusalem, which was back in 1989. And uh, saying the Psalms day by day, I was staying at St. George's Cathedral and taking part in their morning and evening prayer. You realize that the Psalms are saying this kind of thing. Um, I have chosen Zion for myself. This is my habitation forever. And when you say that in England or America or somewhere, it doesn't strike you quite as forcibly as when you're in Jerusalem and you know you're talking about that little hill just down the road. So that sums up, in a nutshell, the same thing that Solomon says in his prayer in 1 Kings 8, which is, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I've built. Nevertheless, you have chosen to put your name here so that when we pray towards this house, then you will hear in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, you will forgive. And so it's it's woven into biblical theology that God is vastly greater than anything we can imagine, and yet has chosen to do this very specific thing. And that is part of the mystery of what theologians sometimes call election, that in order to accomplish his purposes, God chooses this people, Abraham's uh, family, and then he chooses Isaac, not Ishmael, and Jacob, not Esau, and and then after the exile, it's a remnant, etc. And out of this remnant, there is this one human being called Jesus of Nazareth, and in him, God says, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, and then he does what has to be done to rescue and restore God's world through his death and resurrection. And and that narrowing down of focus tells me something else about the way God the Creator may have worked in vaster areas than we can imagine, that we don't know if there's anything that we could call life on other planets or in other parts of our um, uh, of our, our ever-expanding cosmos, as it now seems. So even within our own galaxy, we, we don't know that there's anything else out there that we could call life, but there might be. And then the question is, so what? Um, and again, this is not something I have researched in any detail. It's not something that a biblical theologian is likely to trip over in, in, in one's ordinary reading. But there are people like my friend and former colleague David Wilkinson in Durham who have written extensively about this. David has one or two books where he deals with the question of of supposing there were life elsewhere, what would that do? And I, I don't see it. I don't see it as a problem. I see it as a curiosity. Um, 
that because of what I believe about God as the good creator of all that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, um, if there are other life forms elsewhere, then just as there are myriad life forms on this planet, we've done our best to exterminate some of them, alas, mm -hmm. but um, that there are many, many life forms. And I believe God the creator cares about all of them. So it's not a big deal for me to suppose that he might have created other quite different life forms in other parts of the world and that he cares about them too. Um, uh, how that relates to the specific events concerning Jesus um, are not totally different from the question of how the specific events concerning Jesus relate to um, the, the frogs in the pond or the birds in the tree or whatever. Um, that there, there may be an interconnectedness. I think contemporary scientific investigation suggests that there is more interconnectedness between different life forms than we have usually imagined, um, and that that might well spill out, if you like, into the vaster extenses mm. of um, of the cosmos. But beyond that, I'm not sure that anyone can go, and certainly I am not qualified <laughs> to comment much more. Well, we, we are going to, you know, continue to press you on some of these issues, Tom. Let's, let's talk about um, aliens uh, and, yes, the question of whether they might uh, need themselves redeeming if they were to exist. A uh, couple of questions here. Dennis in Oregon and Matt in Wheaton, Illinois. <clears throat> um, and Dennis asks, in light of the vastness of the universe and the possibility of other life-sustaining planets in a galaxy far, far away, what is the possibility of there being, either in our past, present or future, other beings created in the image of God? And if such beings exist, would they exhibit the same sin nature as us? Would they fall? And would the Son of God visit them as their version of Emmanuel in order to save and redeem them? And Matt in Wheaton, Illinois, similar-ish question, who says, my question is, uh, to do with aliens, crazy as it may sound, and whilst I've shrugged it off in the past, it's a topic I've wrestled with for a while now. I know C.S. Lewis addressed this topic in a sense in his Space Trilogy. My question is, if there are other sentient beings in the universe, how would that impact our view of God? What if they were fallen creatures? Would our view change if they sought humanity's demise? So there's a few questions in there, but let's sort of go to the central one, which is, again, sort of as one of these people mentioned, raised in that, that sort of space trilogy by Lewis, especially in his book Paralandra, where he envisages, you know, life on other planets, other sentient beings needing their own messiah, their own saviour and so on. Um, what what um, yeah, what what's your thoughts, Tom? Would um, firstly on the, the idea of life on other planets, but also, you know, this idea that it would also be fall, you know, potentially be fallen? Yes. Yes. I, I'm always amused when people use the word aliens, because until very recently, and it may still be the case, if you fly to America, and if you're British, then when you come to passport control, um, you have a choice between US passports and aliens. And uh, I've often thought, you know, okay, I'm an alien, according to this, but I don't have uh, little <laughs> green ears or whatever. Um, so the word aliens covers many things. And of course, it's just a, a, an old Latin word meaning difference, uh, different things, different people. Um, but we've used the word in different senses is what I'm saying. And obviously, here it refers to um, creatures, sentient beings is a way of putting it, what counts as sentient, some people would say that the, the trees and the flowers are 
are sentient beings. Um, and of course, until comparatively recently in the history of the human race, um, until maybe 600 years ago, um, most humans in Europe and Africa were aware of other humans in Europe and Africa and in uh, further out in Asia, but were completely unaware of the whole world that we think of as the Americas. And that when they found America, or when, which is, of course, a, a particular odd way of putting it, America was always <laughs> there, when they um, stumbled upon it, then they had serious questions. Do the people who live here have souls? Are they real human beings? Do they need saving the same way that we do? So in a sense, what's happening now is we're asking the same questions that people in the not too distant past asked about people that we would now recognize as other human beings, even though they had very different customs, cultures, etc. And of course, within the planet as we now see it, there, was all, there were all sorts of interconnections and the prehistory of um, the different uh, ethnic tribal groups, etc. can be now traced by archaeology and so on. Whereas we would find it very difficult, I imagine, to do anything similar, supposing other sentient beings were to be found not just on Venus or Mars, but on um, in places uh, far further out in the mm. in the larger um, outer space. Um, so yes, C.S. Lewis does explore this, and Perilandry he has a scene which is really rather like what Genesis three might have looked like if Eve, Eve had eventually said no, um, and it's a wonderful temptation scene which then goes the other way. Um, but but yeah, Lewis is asking those questions really as a way of addressing some of the what if questions which then bounce back on us. How do we understand our own our own place in the great scheme of things? Uh, I I remember when I was a teenager, there was a song which people, um, uh, which was quite popular um, among the sort of newer Christian music in the 60s and 70s, which was about supposing there were other stars and planets which had other creatures. Will there have to be multiple inc incarnations? Will the Son of God have to die in each one of those in order to redeem them? And I remember at the time being a bit puzzled about that and thinking, actually, if that what the church has always said about Jesus is true, then Jesus is the embodiment not of uh, a local deity who belongs to this planet only, but of the God who made heaven and earth and the whole thing. Mm. And that just as it's very specific and very odd in a way, seen from the perspective of 18th century universal enlightenment philosophy, very odd to say that God came as a Jewish man in one part of the world at one moment in history. So it would only be the same oddity, magnified a bit, but basically the same, to say that uh, whatever has happened in the entire cosmos, this Jesus and his death and resurrection is the very center of everything. Now, people would say, oh, that's so, so parochial, so almost selfish to think like that. But it is pretty much what Colossians 1 mm. says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him, all things were created in heaven and earth, etc., etc., etc. And then and he is the, the, the start of it all, firstborn from realms of the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. You know, if you read Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and, and carefully and prayerfully thinking about these issues, I think you would probably conclude that if there are other sentient beings, then the Jesus that we happen to know by a series of providential accidents, etc., is still the redeemer for them as well. Just as Jesus was 
the Redeemer for the many races and nations and ethnic groups who Western Europeans knew nothing of in, say, the 13th century. Um, but when they when they became aware that there were such people, then it became clear mm. that Jesus was the Redeemer for them as well, and that Jesus had had ways of making that known to them in advance of um, colonializing missionaries and so on. That's where the real mystery would come. Um, in what way is the Creator God already in touch with them, as it mm. were? And just as with other species within our world, um, whether the, the, the birds and the animals and the trees and the flowers and so on, do we have to assume that whatever happens to them happens through us? Or do we not assume that they have their own ways of praising God and of being obedient to God, of which we yes. know very little or yes. nothing? So there are, there are all sorts of mysteries there, but we have to be quite yes. careful because it is all speculation. And... Um, uh, we should not let speculation then outrun our caution, mm. and particularly we shouldn't get so fixed on it that we then ignore the things, the tasks which are immediate and close at hand. Yes, and, and I think that I found that very helpful actually. That the sense that if it's true that Christ's death and resurrection, as it were, is about this prefiguring of this new creation and so on, then then it that that's something that applies to the whole cosmos in a sense. Just just as you know, just reading from. Colossians yeah, 1 exactly. verse, verses exactly. 20 here you know and through through him to reconcile to himself all things whether and, things and are John not, 1 yeah. 1 to 18 yes. as well yeah yeah so 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 the, yeah there's there's that sort of cosmic sort of significance even if it starts local it seems to to you know span out across the whole cosmos in that way let's talk finally about aliens and Nephilim <laughs> this is a rather interesting question from Lenny in Florida who asks um since you've already touched on a huge variety of topics, I thought I'd narrow it down to two fringe topics, although for some Christians, they aren't very fringe at all. Firstly, what is your take on the Nephilim and the idea that they might return before the second coming of Christ? And connected to that, secondly, what do you think about aliens uh, and what would be a sound Christian response to the idea of life on other planets? Well, you've already obviously addressed number two, but obviously there's a connection here uh, in in Lenny's mind between this this race this you know rather mysterious references in the old testament to the the nephilim and other, some people have made claims that oh, perhaps this was some sort of you know ufo slash alien race that you know that and so on and any thoughts on on this firstly you might want to just sketch out what you you understand of this these references to the to the nephilim in the old testament tom <laughs> I, I don't have very much to say about the Nephilim. And I confess, though, I did see this question yesterday or the day before. I didn't at once go off to a Bible dictionary to check <laughs> on my, my facts about the Nephilim. But I, I, <clears throat> I don't think that Scripture <clears throat> gives us any indication um, that we ought to be particularly bothered about um, the, the former uh, races of either quasi-hominids or giants or whatever who seem to have been around on the planet um, way back when, um, you know, you, you find it when um, the children of Israel are in the desert and approaching the promised land and they send the spies into the land and, uh, oh my goodness, they've got big people there, they've got giants, and then you have Goliath and Gath, etc. It looks as though there are some hominids who are um, apparently of of a, a different size, a different type to the ones that most people are, and they seem then to have died out. Um, the idea that they are part of 
um, a kind of a, a UFO colony. Um, this would go back to Genesis 6, to the idea about the sons of God who, who take up with the daughters of men and they produce this, this race. Um, I, I do not know what Genesis 6 would mean in terms of our um, interpretations today. Obviously, ancient Jewish interpreters had all sorts of theories about um, this as part of the origin of evil, not just Genesis 3, but also Genesis um, Genesis 6 as being, ah, uh, that's where things went horribly wrong. Um, but the New Testament really doesn't pick that up. Um, you don't find Jesus saying, now remember what happened to those Nephilim or, or watch out because they may be back. There's, you know, there's so many things to be focused on in the New Testament, and that really isn't one of them. And I would say if anyone finds themselves focused on that and worried about it, then they ought to give themselves a further crash course in reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and concentrate on the things that are central rather than the things that are peripheral. Um, and particularly, I know that there are some circles in which um, UFO sightings and all that are all the rage. Uh, I'm always interested if I see something in the papers about somebody from NASA or something saying it looks as though there really are some um, some beings out there who are occasionally interacting with us. Fine, okay, but please don't hook that in to any form of biblical eschatology. Please don't imagine that there's anything in Scripture which says that, ah, well, before the end or before the rapture or anything like that, um, some of these creatures are going to reappear. Um, if, if God wants to do something extraordinary, God will do something extraordinary. But I don't see anything in the New Testament, anything in the teaching of Jesus to hook those things together and make a further kind of um, future conspiracy theory out of it. Yes, we've got our work cut out just making sense of life on Earth without having to turn to other planets as well. But uh, anyway. Well, quite. <laughs> and, and, ma and making sense... And making sense of the central issues of the gospel and and, and mm. whatever else we want to say, this is not one of those. <laughs> well, it's been fun to, uh, in any case, have a think about these things, Tom, and uh, imagine what, what the possibilities might sure. be out there. Uh, and I hope it's been helpful to those who have been in touch. But for now, thank you very much for being with me on today's show. Thank you. Well, thank you for being part of the show today. Such interesting questions. And next time we're asking, do I need to tithe? We'll be talking about church rules, covenants and leadership. Your questions on that. And by the way, if you want to support what we do here, you can do that over at our website, premierunbelievable.com. For now, I hope you're enjoying the summer and we'll see you next time. <laughs>